let's just ask God quietly in our hearts to speak to us. All of us come with varying challenges and struggles and battles and, and, and we need to hear from God. So let's just quietly ask him in our hearts to speak. Lord, it's a mercy. It's really a condescension of who you are and your greatness that you would come down and speak to us in our language. English is something we need to even hear from you today. You know every language. You're above language. But you've you've given us words that we can understand of your love and your grace. And God, it would be a mercy if we would receive them well today now. And so I pray that uh, whatever our heart's need is, God, and you know it. You're the great surgeon, the great physician. You, you know what we need to hear today. And I'll say one thing and you'll take it and you'll say exactly what each person needs to hear. And so I, I pray you will give us ears to hear now well what you have to say to us. Give us hearts that receive well. Let it, let it be good soil today that your word lands on. Because God inside, apart from your word and, and your love, we are dead. So, so bring us to life today now, God, by your, by your spirit, by your word that comes and grows now in us. And help this preacher to preach in a way that would be a blessing and a benefit to your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. We're, we're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And uh, we know that on a Sunday morning, prime time on the weekends, there's a lot of things you could be doing. And uh, it is a good thing that you've chosen to be here. And uh, God has some things to say to each one of us, I believe, and I uh, want us to hear them well. We're in a series on Mark uh, here at Risen Life. If you're new, we, we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. And uh, we believe that's how God speaks uh, through his word to us. We don't teach out of other books. There are other books that are, that are good, but they've got flaws. This one is perfect, and it's God's words to us. And so we want to teach out of it week by week. So we're in Mark chapter 12. If you'd like to turn there, there's a Bible in front of you and in your chair in front of you. If you don't have one, you can turn there and follow along. Um, we are on a, uh, a critical, huge section of Scripture here today. Um, talking about one of the big themes that the Bible gives us. You know, I like big themes. I, I'm not one of these guys that really is good at details and a lot of little finite, little finding cool little things in, in little places. I kind of like the big principles of life. Give me the, the big idea, summarize it, give it to me in 10 seconds, and then let me move on. I'll just live with that. That's kind of the way I am. And um, this is what Jesus is doing today in, in this text. He's dealing with the big principles of life. I, I tend to operate as a pastor around four or five, six big principles. And it, it, you know, I just work with those principles as I shepherd and, and guide and counsel people. One of them is, is there is a God and you're not him. <laughs> and um, and, he, and, he, and he cares about you. He loves you. And he wants to redeem your 
difficult, challenging situation. And he wants to turn your challenging situation into a deep love for him and others and, and grow you. He cares. And then, <laughs> you're responsible. <laughs> Sorry. First bad news of the day. You're responsible. Most of your problems are you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me. For me, right? And you have the capacity, you have the capacity by God's grace to do the things that He wants you to do to bring your life back into a place it should be. That's good news, isn't it? That's, that's good news. Because that means we can do something about it. If, if all our problems are the other guy, I can't fix the other guy. I'm just stuck in my problems. But if my problem is mostly me, I can do something about that. That's good news. And then today, the big principle that Jesus is working at with us is this question of what am I supposed to do? What should I be doing? What's God's will for me here? That's a question I get asked every week by somebody. And I give these answers that are going to be built in this text this morning. What, what do I do? Jesus, what do we do? What are we supposed to be about? And Jesus answers that question. So we'll, we'll look at this, uh, this sermon in three parts. Um, first of all, here's the great commandment. This is what we're supposed to do. Here it is. We'll look at it. And then we'll look at the foundation for the great commandment. What's, un- what's underneath it? There's a foundation for it. And then finally, living it out um, in our lives, the third part. So let's begin. Let's look at the great commandment here, verse 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay, let's, let's get it down here, Jesus, to the finite thing. What do you want me to do? What am I about? What's your will? And Jesus answered, here's the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no one besides him. And to love him with all our heart and with all the understanding, with all our strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so Jesus lays it out. Here's his will for you today. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. It's uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. Pious Jews would recite it twice a day, morning and night, to remind me, first of all, that there is only one God. God is one. Okay? You're not him. You never will be him. There is one God, you are his creation, and your job is to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength for your joy and for his glory. And the second is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself, taken out of Leviticus 19.18. It is assumed there in that verse, interestingly, that you will love yourself, that you, you want the best for you. Right? I think that's true of us. It's a good thing. We want the best for us. We want to love ourselves well, and the best way to do that, of course, is to love God and give your life to Him. That's the best way to love yourself. But you have a concern for yourself. You take care of yourself. And what we are to do then is to love others like we love ourselves. We're to take care of others. We're to, what is the best for that other person that God has brought across my path? 
What is God doing in their life? How do I help them be all that God made them to be? And, and you, you work and act and speak for their best. Well, that's what it is. There it is. There's the, there's the summation of God's will for you today. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor of yourself. And to love in a way that is in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 13, to do it, to do it with patience and kindness and thoughtfulness, not self-absorbed. And, uh, and to, it says at the end of that, that little text in 1 Corinthians 13, that section on love, to believe the best and to hope the best and to bear with one another. And so to look at each other and go, I believe in what God is doing in your heart. And I, and I believe that God and you are going to just get through this to the side and, uh, and I'm hoping that God, right? I'm hoping for the best for you. I believe the best. I hope the best. And we get so down on, on people and, and things and circumstances and our trouble in our home. And, but God says, love is to hope and to believe that God's at work and do an amazing thing and come alongside what God's doing in the lives of others and, and join them on the good journey. And, and this is a good journey. And I'm thankful for a church family that is, is seeking God and seeking to grow in Him and, and believing in one another that God is doing an amazing thing with us and in us. So that, that's the journey we're on. That's what we're called to do. Now, now look, at, I, I want to just make, make three observations about this command um, that I think might help us a little bit. <clears throat> the first one is this, is that the aim of all the law, the aim of all the law is that we would be rightly related to God and to each other. So often we think of the law as a bunch of rules that God gives us to make us miserable and I've got to follow them and if I don't follow them, he's going to club me and if I do, he's going to think better of me. And, and so we, we function, religion sort of functions this way. It's a bunch of rules. This is why people don't come to church. A bunch of rules and i got to do them and they're boring and they're dull and they're stupid and I don't want anything of it. I'm going somewhere else, right? But God is saying all the law and the commandments leads to this point. That you would love God and you would love each other. That's the whole point of the law, to teach us to love God and to love each other. It leads us to relationship with Him. God loves you, He cares about you, and His commands are given to you to protect you and to help you live life to the full and to walk well with Him. Psalm 24 says this, Who can approach me? Who can come to my holy hill? Who can dwell in my presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You want to walk in fellowship with God? Walk in his principles, right? If you live in a sewer pipe of sin, nobody much is going to want to be near you. You stink, right? Go swim in a sewer and then go hug the people you love. They're going to go, ah, right? And they should, that's it. We swim in sin and we think we're going to be walking intimately with God. It doesn't happen. So God says, Here, here's my principles. Walk with me. Walk close with me. This is how you do it. Furthermore, these commands will help you love one another. They'll help you love each other. Follow my principles. Right? Honor your father and mother. Honor those in authority. That'll help you love people. Keep yourself sexually pure. Respect and protect the sexuality of others and those around you and, and you'll love them well. Don't steal. Respect the property of others. We're just reciting the Ten Commandments, right? Just respect the property of others, their possessions and what they have. Don't murder. Jesus said that means angry. Don't be angry with people. Be gracious and be kind and thoughtful. Be honest. Be truthful. Don't bear false witness. Speak honestly. 
to people. Don't covet. Don't be jealous and envious of what others possess. And if you do these things, you'll love those people well. So, I mean, there's a summation of the law and the prophets. Do these things and you'll love. So you have successful relationships with God and others. Okay. Second of all, second observation here. I love this as a pastor. This makes life really simple. Here's one command. Do it well. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put him first in your affections. Seek to walk with him. Seek to know him. Know him. All the law comes out of his character, who he is as a being. Know his love. Know his grace. Know his holiness. Know him. Honor him by giving your life to him. Put him first. And see him as the being who is most beautiful, most glorious, that when you know him, your heart will be filled. And nobody else and nothing else can do that. Only he will satisfy your heart and and, and seek him first. Pursue him more than anything else. This is what it means to love him. And that's all you got to do. That's it. Right? That's it. There's the law. Do that. Seek him. Love him. Find your satisfaction in him. Give your life to him. Pursue him. That's it. That's the command. Summarizes everything else. Jesus said, do that. All right? (laughs) So simple, right? And so hard, right? So simple. Augustine, who was a bishop in North Africa, would be Algeria today, um, famous bishop, wrote about 400 AD, said this way in response to this verse, love God and do what you want. Love God and then do what you want, right? Psalm 37, 4 says in a similar way, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? Make, make God your joy. Make God your pursuit. Enjoy him and then he's going to give you what you want. Just go after what you want if indeed God is center and first because what happens when we love God most, he puts his best and good desires in our heart and what we want is what he wants, you see? So love God and then go do what you want. I remember interviewing for my first job as a pastor in 1990 in Holders, Nebraska. And uh, I interviewed for this job and, and I had this committee of people that were interviewing me and I was sitting around this table and, and I, I had been, as many of you know, an engineer and I had never had even one day of experience as a pastor nor one day of education to be a pastor but they were still crazy enough, thankfully, to interview me for this job. And, uh, <laughs> and there I was. And they said to me, well, how do you know God has called you to ministry? That's a fair question, right? And it felt holy and weighty when they asked me that, I want you to know. And I don't blame them for asking that, but I didn't really know the answer except here it was. I want to come here and be a pastor. I want the job. And if you offer it to me, I'll take it. 
right? Love God and do what you want. I don't think it's any more complicated than that, right? And I'm here this morning in Salt Lake City because I want to be. That's good news, right? I want to be here. I want to be with you. And I'm preaching this morning because I want to, <laughs> right? Love God and do what you want, right? And I'm married to Mary, the love of my life. I can't know where she is. Where she is way back there. And, and, and I'm glad you're here. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm married to her because I want to. I want to, right? And I have some good friends, and, I, and, I, and they're my friends because I want them to be my friends. Right? Love God and, and do what you want. And, and I'm going to ski yet a little bit more because I want to, and then it's going to warm up and it's going to be golf season. I'm going to believe that because I want to. See? See how simple this is? Just love God with all your heart. Put Him at the center and, and do what you, what you want. I share the gospel because I want to. I preach because I want to. I love God. Do what you want. Now, there's a third observation here. And that is, to love God means to love others. It means to love others. Jesus almost, maybe not quite, almost says these two commands are one command. Um, I'm trying to find it. Oh yeah, here it is. Listen, I says it. He says, having just said command one and command two, he says this, there is no other command, summarizing the two of them, greater than these, giving them back their plurality, see? So I, th- I think he almost hints at this is kind of the same thing. In other words, when you love other people, you're loving God. You, you can't love God and not love people. And other scripture will say this, I'll read it just so that I substantiate what I'm thinking here. Listen to 1 John 4, 11. It says, Beloved, if God loved us, then we also ought to love one another. Okay? Verse 19, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. You see? So you can't say, I love God, and then hate your brother. That doesn't fit. So one way to love God, and maybe the most profound way to love God, after we just give our heart to him, is to love each other. Love others. That's how you show love to God. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And you want to see God's greatest creation? You don't have to leave this building. Just look around at the person next to you. That's God's greatest creation. And enjoy them. It's a beautiful thing. And we are to love His creation. Right? Now that's easier said than done. Because He brings interesting people across our paths to love, doesn't He? I want to know who set those trusses in our parking lot out there. I discovered those last night. I go, who put those things here? And then I thought, well, I'm supposed to love that person, whoever that is. (laughs) Maybe you didn't notice them like I did, but (laughs) or you may parked out on the street or something, I don't know. 
Glenn was here, I'd say, Glenn, would you please get those trusses out of there? Anyway, he's vacation. He's off somewhere. But God brings across our paths people, and we're to love them. This is the way we love God, to love them. I was driving down State Street with my wife this last Friday night, and we were driving from the Capitol down to Fashion Place Mall on State Street. Now, if you want to see life at its fullest in all kinds of ways, drive down State Street from the Capitol to Fashion Place Mall, and you will see everything under the sun. But I'm thinking about this sermon, and I'm thinking, okay, these are people, whoever I'm passing now, I'm supposed to find a way to love them. How do I love these people? So we, draw, we, we, we pass this gas station. We were enjoying the, the tour, kind of. We were driving by the gas station. It was kind of a real seedy gas station. There were people out in the parking lot kind of huddled together, and I kind of think, you know, they're probably pulling off some drug deal or something, and, and it's, it looks grungy, and I'm like going, well, how, how do I love those people? How do we love those people? And block down the road, here's this fast cash store for people that you know, out of money, they need money, and you can get kind of a, a loan ahead for very high, exorbitant interest on the check that you think you'll be getting down the road. And, 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 and there's these people lined up in there, and I go, how do, we, how do we love those people that haven't controlled their spending? They're, they're trying to put their hope in buying things, and, and they're out of control, and it's a mess. And then another block down the road, here is the, the strip bars that are there. And, and here... Hear these women being objectified in that place. How do, how do we love those people that have given themselves to that mess? And, and these guys that are walking in there to, to find love. And G.K. Chesterton said, man watching into a strip bar try to find God. Well, you aren't going to find him in there, per se, though you can find him right next to you. He's right there with you if you just turn to him and get out of there. But how do we love those people? See? How do we love that person? And then down the road a little bit further is, is a person on a bicycle and they're kind of darting across, you know, State Street's like six, seven lanes, and they're darting across that, and they're like going, oh my gosh, what's this guy doing? What did he do, steal that thing? He's trying to cut across the road as fast as he can, and we're wondering about him. How do I love him? And then down the road a little bit further, here's a, a lady who's obviously pregnant. She's by herself, kind of at dusk, walking all alone. And, and I thought, well, how do we love those two people? That lady and that child, that unborn child in there. How do, we, how do we love them? How do we care for them? How do we, how do we reach out to them? You know? here's, what I, here's what I have found so frustrating about Salt Lake City for me. As much as anything, I think. There's a couple, three things that are on my top of my list of things frustrating about Salt Lake City, but here's one of them. <clears throat> Everywhere I go, almost everybody is anonymous. See, I come from small-town Midwest, right? And every one of these people that I would describe, if I'd pass them in small-town Midwest, I'd know them. I'd know their name. I'd love them. I'd know what to do. But here, I can just stand separate and judge them, right? I can just be separate and, and look down on them, right? It's not right, and I'm not even saying I did that, but, I, but, but that's what it's so easy to do because I don't know them. And yet I know, I know in my heart of hearts, I am every bit like them. I have all the same problems, the whole set of them. Maybe I've found solutions in the gospel that have made me well in some places, but, but I have the same set of problems they have. I know it. And God has loved me. How do I love them? See? 
And that's what we're to do. We're to, we're to look for every possibility to relieve pain and to relieve suffering, to bring the gospel of hope and redemption to people in those broken and hard places. Because that's what we've needed in our hearts. Right? And it's wherever we go. We, we have a mission with God to reach, to love, to serve. And, and by loving them, we are loving God. Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Right? So that's our chance. Here's our chance. All these frustrating people that drop tresses in our parking lot. I have to figure out Monday how to talk to them and love them. Right? And what a glorious thing. I said, I'm going to love God by doing that, right? Yeah. If I can get past myself. So, so how are you doing? That's why we go to Guatemala. So we go down there to love people. Serve them and to bring the gospel to them. Now, okay. If I, if I stopped there on this sermon, that would be great instruction and very helpful. And if we could do it, it would be, it'd make our lives better. But I think we know there's something really missing yet still here. Because we don't naturally do those things. This is the problem. And this is why we, we're gonna, the sermon's going to start to turn a corner here now in, in verse 33 and 34 of our text. And we start to see um, Jesus bringing in some, some truth that's going to be important and, and move us towards sort of the foundation now of, of this command. But, lo- but look in verse 33. It says, And we're to love him with all our heart and with all our understanding, with all our strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself. And this is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. He makes a very astute comment. And then Jesus responds in verse 34. He says, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. It's kind of what I just said to you. We're almost there, but we're not quite there yet in this sermon. You're not far. Because if, if all it is is about religious action and religious activity, about going through religious motions, even of being good to one another, that doesn't cut it. You've got to get into a love relationship with God and truly out of that love each other. All of us have tried religion and action and activity and tried to be good and tried to be moral. That alone doesn't do it. It doesn't hold up. And Jesus is beginning to point to something here now that, that is the foundation of this, and that is you're close, but you don't quite have it because see, those sacrifices are all going to come to an end because I'm going to die. I'm going to be the ultimate and final sacrifice, Hebrews teaches us. And when you see that, then your heart will be changed. And then you'll love me with all your heart. See, You're close, but you've got to see where this is pointing. These sacrifices, these religious rituals are pointing to something bigger and better by far. And that is a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die to be that sacrifice. And so, and this is what you've got to hear, gang, in this, is, is that our focus isn't on the law. If you just focus on the law, you won't make it. Your, your, your flesh just revolts against the law. Just try to follow that speed limit for a whole week, right? And I know, if you, I know a few of you do. I know, I know. But the focus on the law doesn't do it. 
But, but there is a law fulfiller. Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law in every way. And when we give our lives to Him, He imparts that righteousness to us. And we walk right before God. And out of that love shown us in Christ, we love Him back. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. Okay? That's the key, see? You can be told to love God, but until you see that He loves you, you won't love Him. And so now, moving on to the second point, the foundation of the great commandment just is that. that We have to have a heart captured by Jesus, captured by Messiah. Now, when you look at Mark, it's an interesting thing. Because suddenly out of this text on the great commandment comes this interesting little three-verse in what they call pericope. It's a little word for the little section, next section of Scripture. Fancy little word. And here it is. And it's dropped in here. Now, when you see a little section just dropped in, that's not by accident. There's a purpose behind that. Mark is assembling all these little pieces together to make a point. He wants you to see something. He wants you to learn something. You know, we we read through Mark and we think maybe automatically that it's sort of chronological. Well, it is mostly, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes he grabs things, the scholars that look at it carefully from other months and even drop it in to say something here. Okay? And I think that's what's going on here. And we see this interesting point that is going to say the foundation of the great commandment. It says, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, this is out of Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? See the question? David calls him Lord, but the text also says that he is his son. How do we fit that together? See, Messiah, 2 Samuel 7 says, Messiah will come out of David's line down. Messiah is coming. People are anticipating that. Jewish people believe that, but Jesus is saying, look at this person, David says, is not only out of my line, but he's also my Lord. How does that work? My son and my Lord. See? And what he's trying to do with these people, I think, that's why Mark puts it in here, is, is say that the key to loving God is to see Messiah for all he is. That's the key. You want to love God? You got to know Messiah. And you've got to know him for all he is. Yes, he will come and he will conquer. And, the, and they had their mind that it was going to be a political conquering and establish a nation of Israel. We've talked a lot about that. And yes, he will come and he will do that. Let's read Revelation 19. He will come and he will judge the nations. He will set up his reign forever and ever in a new heaven and a new earth. He will do that. But he has to conquer way more than just the nations and political conquering. He has to conquer our sin, and our wage of death. He has to beat both of those two also. See, he's the conquering Messiah. He will politically conquer. But he also came, and, and Revelation 19 is beautiful because it says here he comes on a white horse, right? And he says he, and he has a bright white robe that is dipped in blood. There it is. There's Jesus in all his glory coming with power, but having already died 
conquering sin and death so that all the victories that we need that we can't get for ourselves, Jesus has given us. And so the key to loving God now is to see Jesus for all he is and who he is, high and lifted up. That's what we say regularly around here. We try to lift up Jesus as high as we possibly can. (laughs) Not that he needs to be lifted up, but we want to try to see him, show all his glory as best we can so that our hearts see him and love him. You see? That he is coming and he will judge and that should humble us. And get us in the right posture. But our greatest need of forgiveness is bought in Christ, who the Lamb of God who was slain and died for us and rose again, defeating sin and death. And when we see Jesus, Messiah, for all he is and all his glory, then we will love him. See? That's why this is here. See him. King Jesus coming. Tremble. Right? BSF has been studying Bible Study Fellowship for Women here on Wednesday mornings, I think, for those of you, some of you who participate. And uh, they've been studying Revelation all year. And, uh, and <laughs> I was talking to one of the women leaders this week, and she goes, a lot of people have repented and turned to Jesus this year. And why is that? Because Jesus has been high and lifted up. He's the coming king. And with the robe dipped in blood, he's died for our sins. But unless you repent... You will perish, right? And to see him, to see him and to know him, to know what he's done for you, to rescue you and me, is to love him, see? And that's what we have here in this little text. Now, once again, now Mark is, is moving with us and walking with us, and he moves us now on to um, this final little section, which is... Um, two examples, and they're contrasting examples of how to live out the great commandment and how to not live out the great commandment. Okay? What does it look like for a heart that loves God? What does that look like? And what does it look like for a heart that doesn't love God? That's what we're going to look at now. That's what this little section goes. It brings in two examples. One, people whose heart have not been touched by God's love and don't love him, and then a person who who, who does love him, okay? So we start with the one who doesn't, verse 38. And in this teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Okay, so here's a pious group of people, a people who try to follow the commands but I want you to see their purpose in following the commands. It is so that they will receive greetings in the marketplaces. See a scribe in the first century, unless you were on some major construction project and you had your arms on a beam that was going to land on your head, you were to stand and, and acknowledge them. That's what they, they did, and they had that experience. And it says that they were pious and walked as scribes so that they would receive those greetings. It also says that they liked the places of honor and the feasts. Okay, where they would sit in places of honor up front and be esteemed and acknowledged and, and, and honored. So I want you to see that their focus was on the externals and on their behavior so that they would receive love, acceptance, and praise of men. You see this? Now look at it. I want you to hear this. This is important. They were being good and they were being godly 
to win love and acceptance. Okay? And we got to hear this. We will never, ever, ever be more loved by God and more accepted by God because of the way we behave. That is against the gospel. We are loved by him and we are accepted by him by grace alone. Just because he loves us. In fact, his best love for us is when we are in our darkest, deepest, grossest sin. That's when his love is most meaningful. Because he still loves us and it hasn't even changed. Okay? Yeah, I get that. But here's these guys. They're trying to act religious so that they can win it. Love and acceptance. That's what they're after. And it leads them to this really dark, horrible place. When our, when our primary focus is on trying to be good so that we win the praise of men, we are in desperate place. And we, we, have this, we all have this problem, right? I, I used to, early on in my preaching life, when I'd preach on Sunday and preach in a way that felt bad to me, I would go home and lay on my bed and just moan in pain. So this is the problem. This is the same problem these guys had. But if I preached well, I would feel good about myself, see? Now, I've grown up. <laughs> Thankful to say I don't do that any longer. However, I will have 25 conversations with you after this service today with 25 different ones of you probably or so, right? And 24 of those 25 will go really well. And I'll say encouraging, helpful things, I think, to most of you. But there will be inevitably somebody in this room today that's going to hear something really stupid come out of Kevin's mouth. <laughs> I hope it's not you. <laughs> but somebody's going to get it, and it's going to be dumb. Because every Sunday, this happens to me. And guess what I do? Right? I've, I've said 24 kind, helpful things, and one stupid thing, and what am I going to think about this afternoon? That one stupid thing that I said to one of you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Every Sunday, it's one of you. <laughs> but you know what that does to the human heart? When you live that way, when you live by performance, when you live by your acceptance and love being based on your performance, it rips your heart apart. It leaves you empty. And these guys were that. They were, they were a sham. They were empty on the inside. They didn't know God's love, and therefore they didn't love God. And it says, out of that, they prayed on widows in their houses, right? And, and who knows what that looks like? Some gruesome, gross, ugly, nasty thing. But that's what will happen. If your heart is not in love with God because of his love for you, it eventually will bubble to the surface and come out of you in predatory ways that you won't believe you had the capacity to do. That's the problem with not having a heart of love toward God. That's why we find ourselves in angry places and addictions and depressed, anxious places because we haven't gotten in touch with God's love for us that's changed us. That's got to be our pursuit, to know his love. And I, I went and had a physical this past week, and the doctor told me I'm going to live to 100. My blood pressure's low, my cholesterol's low, and I'm in fine shape, the doctor said. And uh, that was nice to hear. But that's not my problem, <laughs> right? My problem is my heart. Doctor, how's my heart? Well, he can't answer that. I mean, my spiritual heart, right? That's what I've got to work on. And that gets well when I know the love of God. Now, in a good example, and here's this poor widow. This poor widow in verse 41. 
as a good example of what it means to love God. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. So there's people putting money in offering boxes at the temple. I think there were 13 of them, and they'd put them in, these little cones that they'd put them in. And, and many rich people put in large sums. But then here comes a poor widow, and she came and put in two small copper coins, you know the story, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. You know, isn't this interesting? He, Jesus, who, who sees everything, right? He's, he's with you. He sees you. He knows what's going on. But he gathered his disciples. He wants them to see. Come on, you've got to watch this. Here's a widow. She's got two pennies. She's got two pennies. She's dropping them in. Look at, guys. Look at this. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all that she had to live on. Now, personally, I think this is bad advice. Not really. But if you were asking me, if a widow came to me and has a small amount of money and there's two halves to it, you know what I'd say? Well, you might give the first half to God, but buy dinner with the second half. That would make more sense to me. Wouldn't it to you? Please tell me. I mean, that's what you would say, I think. Don't give it all away. What are you going to eat? And yet she gave it all away. Right? Gave it all away. Why? Because she loved God. She had experienced his love. She knew his love. Her heart was filled with his love. And out of love, and who would get in the way of this? She said, I'm giving it all away. Right? Now, we could say an awful lot about giving and being generous out of this verse. I'm not going to do that here. Though I think there's some things here to be said. If we love God, we're going to be generous. But here's what I do want us to see. When God's love has touched your heart and reached your heart, and you've experienced his grace and his mercy, the cost of his son, his greatest gift. Our heart's response will be, God, you can have everything. It's all yours. You paid the ultimate price. You shed your blood as a ransom. First Peter 1.18 says, as a ransom, a payment, so that we could be rescued out of the arms of the devil and a future in hell and be made royal children of the king. Bought with the blood of Christ. And when we see that love, Ben, you can come on up, and that sacrifice, and that was done for me to, to put me into the royal family of God, an adopted child of the King forever and ever. He's done everything for me at the highest possible price. Who would give their son for a wretch like me? I go, you get my life. My life is yours. I love you, God. Here's my life. See? That's what love looks like. Take my life. And by the way, Jesus said, if you try to keep your life, you try to save it for yourself, you'll lose it. You'll run it right into the ground. I think we know that. But if you lose your life for me in the gospel, if you give it away, Mark chapter 8 says this, you give it away, then you'll really live. When you get a heart touched by God's love for you, it makes you in love with him and says here, here I am. I, I, was, I was in the kitchen this week. I'll close with this. And 
I, last night on Saturdays, I just study all day and prepare all day for my sermon. And, and my wife, she's around all day. She usually works, but on Saturday she's home. And it's just a delight for me to just see her working about various things. And I looked at her, and, and there she was. She was cooking dinner, and I'm working away. And, and I thought, man, this woman has loved me for 35 years. Well, all my, she knows my flaws. She's a little bit like God. You know, she knows everything about me, and she still loves me. I love that woman. I love that woman, right? And even a far greater way, that's the way God is with us. That he has looked at us, he knows everything about us, all our thoughts, all our mind. And he loved us and washed us clean, made us acceptable to him, gives us his righteousness and gives us grace and an eternity with him and his amazing kingdom. I love that God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all you've shown us in this text. Thank you for the great love that you've poured out on us. Oh, God, we love you. Open our eyes to see. Sometimes we just don't see. God, sometimes we miss it. Sometimes the world just clouds us. Satan tries to take it away. Open our eyes to see your love. Having seen a God, we say, I am yours. I give everything I have for my joy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.